All right, we're in the third week of this series, and hopefully it's been encouraging for you so far. It's been encouraging for me, uh, me and Tracy. Now our marriage is now perfect, and so we are experts, and we'll teach you everything on how to have a perfect marriage. Uh, no, the, the, every week there's a new lesson I feel like I'm learning in this whole process. Um, to recap very quickly, our first week we talked about as we start our marriage, we need to have the right pieces in place. Uh, think about um, the pieces are the right foundation, which is God's word. That what God's word says about marriage is how we define marriage. And God's word defines marriage as a covenant and not a contract. We talked how covenant leads to safety, right? That foundation of covenant being known, I'm not going anywhere, you're not going anywhere. This foundation is a safe foundation. We talked about the fountain of a marriage. The, the source is the gospel which is the fact that even though I am a sinner and I was far away from God, God came near and he brought me to him. His kindness led to my repentance, that this gospel, this good news is the fountain for your marriage. And the focus is God's glory. The focus is not our happiness. It's not just having kids. It's not having success. Our focus and our, our marriages should be a reflection of Christ's love for the church. And then lastly, we talked this idea about how we don't necessarily have marriage problems. We have sin problems. That the enemy to battle in your marriage is not your spouse. The enemy to battle is sin. And today we're going to talk about how to move forward in that. So if we know kind of these major pieces, and if we all can admit in this room, it's a safe place to admit that you are the problem in your marriage, your sin is a problem in your marriage, well, how do we... How do we move forward with that? How do we, in a sense, take the car out of the garage and get on the road and start trying to have a very healthy and vibrant marriage? Especially in the two areas that for the next three weeks we're going to focus on, the areas that we all face in marriage of communication and conflict. Who has problems sometimes communicating with their spouse? Tell them what they want. Conflict arises, correct? I feel like these issues are the day in, day out like, how do I do this in a marriage? It's like the, the baby steps of a marriage, that if we can learn to communicate and have conflict in a Christ-centered, Bible-motivated kind of way, I think that our marriages um, can look a lot, lot different. So the next three weeks, we're going to talk through three things. Wisdom. Mercy. And a big one, forgiveness. That for us to really learn how to communicate and even have conflict with each other, we have to learn what wisdom really is. It's taking these beliefs, right? The foundation of marriage, uh, the gospel, the glory of God, and taking these foundational pieces and putting th those beliefs into practice. That is what wisdom is. It is using that wisdom in the midst of a conflict or a fight. That's how we grow in that wisdom. And we grow in showing mercy to each other and showing forgiveness to each other, I guess. So as sinners, the question is, how do we apply wisdom? As sinners, I just admitted to you that I thought that I should be somewhere else today, right? That I, I made a mistake there. So um, how do I apply wisdom, I guess, to my foolishness or my sin? How do we live this out day in, day out? Here's the The way of wisdom is open for all who have put their faith in Christ. Because Christ himself is now our wisdom. 
as we put faith in Christ, the fruit of that will be wisdom. So Jason said earlier, it's this connection with him, with God. As we kind of walk in this connection, wisdom is birth. 1 Corinthians 1 says this. That work? Yep. Okay. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Wisdom is available to us because of what Christ has done. That we can, as we are imputed his righteousness, we can take on his wisdom as we walk in his ways. Wisdom for our marriages is then is not found in just how-to books of we do this better, we do this, we don't say these words, we say these words. It's not just found in those things. It is found in putting our beliefs into gear and heading down the road of wisdom with God behind the wheel. And here's the thing. As we learn to leverage and practice wisdom in our marriages, here's where I get very excited. And I know some of you pretty well and some of you not, not as well. I know my marriage pretty well. I get excited at what putting wisdom in practice in our lives, putting our beliefs into action in our marriages, what that can produce in one year, in five years, in 10 years, or in 30 years down the road. I think about, because many of you are like me and there's conflict in your marriage. And your marriage is desperate to put beliefs into action through wisdom. And the reason that we're having this series all together, the reason we're passionate about this is because as we practice wisdom in our marriage, there can be great fruits in our marriages. So I had to talk with, we had Hattie's birthday party this week, and my parents are divorced. And my oldest son, Hayes, has lots of questions. He's, so he asked if they left Friday night, well, do, do Gammy and Pop still love each other? And I was like, whoa, Lord, that's a landmine right there, Hayes. And, um, and I thought about, and we explained to him what divorce is, because he's, I guess, old enough now. Maybe I shouldn't have. I have no idea. Um, don't judge me, please. And we explained to him what divorce is, said mom and daddy will never get it, all these kind of things, right? And, and, and there is grace for that. There is grace for those things. Um, but there is this picture that I think we all want for our life, that we can, even through our failures, that God can redeem us in our marriages through faithful acts on Mondays and Tuesdays and Thursdays of practicing wisdom, that through all these little acts, a long time, we can look back and our kids can see a picture of the gospel, correct? They see this picture lived out in front of them. So the question today is, what does this look like? And we have four practices today of wisdom in marriage. Four practices we're going to talk through of wisdom in marriage. First practice, in humility, suspect yourself first. In humility, suspect yourself first. Put on humility and think, okay, I probably messed this up. This posture in marriage honestly just saves us so much time. If we look to ourselves and our own sin first, we are saved a lot of heartache. Listen, we should trust in Christ's perfection, not in our perfection. Just assume you're wrong. And that's not just men. We said to men a lot, men, you're always wrong. We see this kind of like an idiot man. And they are, we, always, we are wrong. But ladies, you're wrong too. Like you're a sinner as well. I love you, but you're a sinner as well. And we both must learn to look first to Christ's righteousness and not our own. Dave Harvey says this, True humility is living confident in Christ's righteousness and suspicious of our own. Think to your last fight. 
just you close your eyes for a moment. It's probably years ago, I imagine, for you guys. Think to your last fight. And listen, I know that your spouse said something or didn't do something or left something out or forgot something or cussed you or something like that. I know they did something to you. I am fully and highly aware of that. But let me ask you this. Wouldn't a humble suspicion of your own heart first, before you said a word, before you gave the look, that's my thing right there. I don't really, I breathe. I breathe. Something left out. <sighs> Trace says, why are you breathing? I'm like, oh Lord, here we go. Um, if we just stopped and inspected in humility, right? Inspect ourselves first. Here's the tough one. Inspect your motives first. Is your motive control? Is your motive your comfort? Is your motive um, your justification that you look righteous? What are your motives? Why are, you say, why are you starting this conversation? Why are you starting this fight? That's what I'm trying to say. What are your motives? Inspect yourself first. Dave Harvey says this too. I should be primarily suspicious and regularly suspicious of myself. To be suspicious of my own heart is to acknowledge two things. That my heart has a central role in my behavior and that my heart has a permanent tendency to oppose God in his ways. Is that true for us? Is that just me? It's just you. Don't say that it's you. I mean, it's not you. Jeremiah 17, 9. And we know this stuff in the scripture, but I want you to see it. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Yes and amen, correct? Our hearts are wicked. I have no idea why I sin the way I do. I have no idea why I think the way I do sometimes. I have no idea why I do it so much or why this battle is so real. But it's real, isn't it? So in humility, we should suspect ourselves first. The road of humility is a safe road in our marriage. It's this realization that we are both sinners who just said, I do. Right? We're just simply sinners who said, I do. Now, I will say, I'll tell you this, a lot of this series comes from a book called When Sinners Say I Do. Now, if you've known me at all for a while, I've told about this book a thousand times. I read this book when me and Tracy got engaged, and that's had a foundational shape on my life and my marriage, and it's been a great... So I would encourage you, pick up this book, read this book as a couple. I think it will encourage you. It kind of reflects most of the themes from our series that we're doing. Yes. So in humility, suspect yourself first. Second practice. In integrity, in integrity, with honesty, inspect yourself. Man, there are some things in life that are really easy. Sitting on the couch watching TV. But there's probably nothing easier than inspecting and focusing on my spouse's sins. It's a great hobby of mine, right? To just sit and think about how evil they are. You see it. They sin against you every single day. They sin against your kids every single day. You're the front row view of the vileness of your spouse, correct? Is that true? But integrity, inspect yourself. Hear this. Scripture does not give us permission to make our spouse's sins first priority. We take these things, yes, speak truth in love, right? We, we, and we, so we just focus on their sin all day long. Scripture does not give you permission to make your spouse's sin your first priority. The words of Jesus in Matthew 7. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye? 
when there is the log in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly, deal with your sin. You and God deal with your sin. Then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. We are way too busy taking out that speck in our spouse's eye to ever deal with the sin in our eye. It's like we have this huge nail in our own eye. And we see this little fleck in our spouse's eye like, oh, that speck is gross. Clean that stuff up and come talk to me, right? That's how we treat our spouses many times. We go to address sin. We do need to address sin in the life of our spouse. I need my spouse to address my shortcomings. Yes and amen. But listen, as we address those sins in our spouse in a loving way, our sin, it's got to loom large. Does that make sense? Like we need to own, account, inspect, repent, deal with our sin 99% of the time. And that 1% we ask, we show, we might tell with truth and love of the sin in our spouse's life. But our sin, it's got to loom large. It's got to loom heavy. That's what I would say is probably better. Is our sin weighing on us more than your spouse's sin is weighing on you? Does it make sense that our sin should bring us to our knees? But many times our spouse's sins bring our hands and we do this right here. Our sin should lead us to our knees. Once again, go back to a recent fight three or four years ago that you had. Not, I know not this week, obviously. And I would, I would probably say that you both were at fault in this argument, correct? At least on some level. I'm not going to get in, this, in the weeds with you right now. On some level, you both were at fault in this argument. I think what I'm trying to have us see is that if we were to evaluate this conflict in light of this passage, of dealing with my culpability first, of my sin first, of my tone first, of my words first, of my motivations first, if that was my first instinct, my first response, that would be a marriage that is pointing your spouse towards Christ and not towards conflict. But many times we're more concerned with our spouse's sin than our own sin. See, Jesus is calling us in this passage for the inspection to start with ourselves. Wisdom connects integrity to humility in a pretty simple way. If you suspect yourself first in humility, if you suspect that, okay, where am I at fault here? Where are my motives off here? then you are more likely to inspect yourself next with integrity. Say, okay, I did mess up here. I have failed here. I have used these words here. These motivations here are off. If we learn to suspect and inspect. Now, this road feels narrow to us. This road feels foreign to us because we're always looking for this, I guess you would say, off-ramp, right? It's the off-ramp to focus on someone else's sins. That is much easier to do, isn't it? It's much easier to focus on your spouse's faults and sins than ever deal with your own. Also, we need to avoid the off-ramp of self-righteousness. Because here's what happens. Many times the, the, the sins, the failures in your spouse's life can be things that do not have a hold on you, right? Maybe, maybe uh, your spouse has a really bad tongue. They use words that don't lift up, don't build up, don't encourage. But you, that's not a problem for you. You always use words that build up, maybe. 
And so for you, you have this self-righteousness that you don't speak this way, you don't think this way, you don't act this way. And so you live in this place of superiority. Here's what I encourage all of us to do is think about sin for a moment. Uh, The Apostle Paul tells us to set our mind on things above. To put it short, to fix your eyes upon Jesus. If we ever start taking that off-ramp to self-righteousness, don't fix your eyes on your spouse. Fix your eyes on Jesus. And I promise you, you'll stop being self-righteous in that moment. As we fix our eyes on Jesus, the perfect, holy Savior and Lord, who died for your sins, who while on the cross as He died for your sins said, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they do. Your self-righteousness takes a peg down, right? We humble ourselves in that moment. So I want us to learn to suspect, inspect our own hearts first, my own heart first. Before I ever start thinking about my spouse or dealing with my spouse, I'm going to my own heart first, right? And this is where we'll discover not only our most obvious sin, but here's also the truth. This is where we actually have life change. When we actually see the idols, the sin in our hearts, then we can actually really begin to do work and change and repent and believe in the gospel and see the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. So, in humility, suspect yourself first. In integrity, inspect yourself. Third, admit that circumstances only reveal existing sin. Admit that circumstances only reveal existing sin. There's a lot of talk these days about honesty in marriage and the need to be honest, and that is good. Honesty is important and it is good. But a lot of times what is, what is happening is more like a spouse kind of just verbally unloading in the name of emotional honesty. That I can just unload every thought I've ever had about you and others, and I'm just being honest, and you can't say a word about that. Here's what I would tell you, just a a great uh, tip in marriage and in life. Everything you think or feel does not need to be said. Everything that I think or feel about life, or even my spouse, does not need to be said. We just saw in Jeremiah how our hearts are a mess, correct? And all of our thoughts and our emotions do not need to be expressed at all times. I am not saying to close up and not confess. I'm not saying any of those things. But every random destructive thought does not have to be shared. Not good for you or your marriage. John Butler says this, Your spouse always hooks your idol. Your spouse always hooks your idol. Is that working? Okay. It's this thing, you know, you think about like, man, when I was single, I didn't have these problems, right? They come in and they have caused all this problem in my life. They have caused me to sin. How, man, they are, they are rough. They're causing me to sin. There's verses on that. You shouldn't cause someone to sin. That is awful. Well, they, they know that I like a house picked up a certain way. I don't like dishes in the sink. I don't like shoes on the floor. And they left that out. They're causing me to sin and to erupt and to explode. That is so wrong of them, isn't it? It reminds me of Genesis 3. You know, the fall of man. Eve sins in, in, in verse 12. This is what Adam says. The man said, the woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Well, it, it's her. She caused me to sin. 
she, she tempted me. She put this in front of me. So this is on her. This is not on me, right? So we've already learned our problems start with our own hearts, with our own sin. And so this posture of moving towards blame shifting is the wrong posture. Instead of understanding and admitting that circumstances in life and marriage simply reveal sin. They don't cause sin. Listen, your spouse and circumstances do not cause sin. They reveal sin. Until we learn that, we're going to do what Adam did, which is blame shift. We're going to shift the onus, not on ourselves and our sin, but on what, what our spouse created in our life and our household. We love to self-justify and to be vindicated that we are right and we are good, right? I'm not trying to be mean. Am I being mean today? I thought I'd be mean today. We're going to get some good news in a minute. Uh, the shift from blame shifting is honesty. That's the shift. But not honesty, we're kind of being honest with our spouse. It's honest with ourselves first. Honesty forces us to deal with the familiar indwelling of sin in our lives in a straightforward way. The destination is always the same. This is, it's always the same. It's the foot of the cross where our sin has been atoned for and where Christ, our wisdom, is ready to help in time of need. But see, blame shifting, it wants to take our sins and place them at the feet of our spouse. See, true honesty and repentance puts our sins at the foot of the cross and he takes on our sin. But blame shifting puts the sins at our spouse's feet because they caused our sin. They're the reason for our sin. Honesty puts them at the cross. So uh, maybe this is my household. Uh, Tracy has, has a condition. She cannot um, put gas in a car. It's a bad thing for her. It's a tough condition for her. We are praying through it. Um, and um, that's sarcasm. Uh, she probably listen to this later and get mad at me. But uh, so I will get in the van and there's not gas in the car, right? And I got to go somewhere, and, and time is running out. We're already late. Kids are screaming. And, uh, and I look at the gas gauge, right? And in that moment, does that circumstance cause me to sin, or is it simply revealing the sin in my life? The sin of control? Think about this. Um, have you ever considered... Why are there no incidents of Jesus slamming a door? Like, you, why did you do this to me? Because here's why. When, when the, the, the tensions of life pressed down on Christ, he had this Holy Spirit-empowered center. That the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, gentleness, self-control came out. Circumstances for Jesus revealed the fruit of his life. And hear this, your circumstances, the gas gauge, the kitchen sink, the tone, those things are not the cause of your sin. They are simply revealing our sin. And our sins should not go to the feet of our spouse. They must go to the feet of our Savior, the only one who can atone for the sins and, of course, change us and make us anew. Last practice. We must focus on undeserved grace and not unmet needs. Focus on undeserved grace 
and not unmet needs. You know, in our day and age, a marriage is like the answer to all of our emotional deficits. And we are taught this, we are discipled in this mindset, this paradigm from the youngest of ages. We are taught that your spouse will complete you, right? We are taught this. And that puts us already in a faulty foundation in our marriages. It already does. And, and sometimes the church almost reflects this, right? Like if you watch, um, I'm getting hot waters here, like a Hallmark movie, right? Which I don't. Um, I'm way too cool for that. You know that. Uh, but there's this weird kind of Christianese in these things that God wants you, yes, to love him. But more than that, he wants you to find a partner, right? And we see this in a Christian format. We think this is like a, a Christian worldview, that our spouse is this ultimate end. Listen, your spouse is not the ultimate end of your life. The person to complete you is simply Jesus Christ. Yes and amen, correct? Let's teach our kids that. Don't teach your kids they need a spouse to be whole. Sorry, that's a little rant. Um, but according to Scripture, uh, the source of our angry words, of unforgiving looks, look at those in marriages, right? Cold shoulders, it's not just unmet needs, it's unsatisfied desires. James 4 says this, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? It's, is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. If I am tempted so strong that I sin, that's on me. We just talked about that. James shifts our paradigm of marriage from something we're missing, an unmet need, to something we're doing. Desiring something we're not getting. Lurking beneath our unmet needs are desires demanding satisfaction. Our words can tempt our spouse to sin. There is no doubt. And we should not be the tempter in our spouse's lives. Our words should build up, not tear down. But we don't cause our sin to spouse. Hear this. This is not a license for sin and abuse. Listen, you, you can't go and verbally abuse your spouse today and say, well, I can't cause you to sin. That's nonsense, right? And the ultimate act of sin and rebellion. It's not what God's calling us to. But almost all the time, our spouses cannot cause us to sin. A needs-based marriage does not testify to God's glory. It's focused on personal demands competing for supremacy. I think the biggest problem with focusing on needs in our marriage and not focusing on grace is that it's just this one lane stretch that all it leads is to me. That if the point of your spouse in your life is just meeting your needs, then your life opens a circle which is just all about you. And I will just tell you, that's a really unfulfilling life, isn't it? And we all drift towards that, don't we? We all, our cars get unaligned, you know, misaligned and we drift towards this just kind of pattern that life is about meeting my needs. That's an unfulfilled life. But sinners um, who say I do, sinners who claim the gospel is the foundation and the source of their marriage, we have a different road to travel. It's a road of astonishing, undeserved grace. It's not focusing on unmet needs. It is focusing on grace. It's a grace so remarkable that it shows us the problem and then delivers the solution. 
Imagine this kind of wisdom-based marriage for a moment. A marriage that is based on humility. That instead of looking to your spouse's fault first, you're in humility looking at yourself first. And then just being honest. Not honest about your spouse's sins, but honest about your own sin. About what you bring to the table, right? Being honest about those things. And then, before we lash out, before our needs are not met, before we, we kind of want to just give judgment, we just simply give grace. That the underlying foundation and rhythm of our marriages is grace. And it's this reminder that His kindness leads us to repentance. It's this reminder that we are not the Holy Spirit in our, in our, in our spouse's lives. That the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit in our spouse's lives. I'm not saying that you'll never be used by the Spirit to encourage or challenge your spouse. I'm not saying that. But I will say this. It is probably much less than we think. That in our flesh, not the power of the spirits, we are speaking words that are pushing our spouse further away from Christ and not closer to Christ. So next steps today. First next step, I would encourage you. Prepare your heart in the secret place. Uh, this is what Jason mentioned earlier, honestly. This is a picture of uh, before we get into loving our spouse and walking in wisdom, wisdom happens as we abide and commune with God. So it says in Psalm 51, Behold, you delight in truth and the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. This beautiful picture that in the quietness, that at the 5 a.m. when it's just you and God, not you and your spouse and God, but just you and God, that you are sitting there and you're, you're meditating on His Word, you're abiding in His love for you, and from there, that's where wisdom comes from. That gentleness, that self-control, that peace, that joy that is like the nourishment for your... That's what it is that wisdom in the secret heart. So here's the challenge for you this week. When are you not just reading your Bible? Yes and amen, read your Bible. But when are you getting in the secret place with God? And it's just you and God. And there's quietness, there's reflection, there's meditation, there's confession of sin between you and God. And at the core of this, there's this meditation, this abiding in His love. That's the first step for your marriage this week, is to battle and find that time. Whenever it is for you, the time of just you and God, for the wisdom and the secret place. Next step. Be slow to speak and quick to inspect. When frustration comes, when the fight comes, when the eye roll comes, when the clothes are on the floor, whenever the thing is for you that triggers you, whenever that comes, be slow to speak. Inspect your heart. Don't lash out, look at your sin, and just privately repent. Do a work in your heart in that moment. Be slow to speak and quick to inspect. And last step, give grace, not demands. Give grace, not demands. Not if, when, if your spouse falls short, but when your spouse falls short. Give grace, not demands. When your needs are not met, when your way is not followed, and I'm a control, when I say that, that's, I'm a control freak when I hear my way, that makes sense to me. When you're let down by the sinner that is your spouse, 
Give grace. Give grace. Let them off the hook. Give grace. And then just point each other towards Christ. Let's pray.